Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it, here it comes. This is the 19th T podcast, Kieran Marsh. Nathan Drudy back with you for another week. Drudster, in the infamous words of Blink 182, a day late and a buck short for the podcast <laughs> uh, this week. But I must say that uh, we here at 19th T Media, which is the parent company uh, of the 19th T podcast, <laughs> do subscribe to Australian Industrial Relations Law. And we did give you your public holiday off yesterday in Western yes. Australia, hence the. Uh, Hence the the delayed podcast for this week. But how are you, my friend? Did you enjoy the day off, courtesy of 19th Team Media? I did. I must admit, it is. Uh, I only remembered it was a public holiday on like last Thursday because working from home at the moment, all the days just kind of blur into one. Like there's no mm. no uh, set sort of schedule. But it was a very nice day off. Uh, played some disc golf actually. Km disc golf. I don't know if you're across what wow. this is. Um, I wasn't sure that I was going to enjoy it, or and um, I've never played it before. It was very cool. I quite enjoyed it. So um, my arm is fucking killing me because I haven't used that muscle for quite some time. But it was no, it was good fun. I enjoyed it. So is that the one where I see like the viral YouTube videos of guys that are flinging something through like rows of trees down yeah. to like essentially a hoop five hundred meters away? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Way harder than it looks. Um, so, well, no, I it was bet. good fun. Yeah. And as you say, I haven't exercised that muscle since, <laughs> you know, seconds at Lasmerdi Mazenod Cricket Club. So. Correct. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> it's right. It's been a little while. No, Look, plenty to fun. get through. Yeah. Plenty to get through tonight. Um, we're going to start here on our own shores, the uh, TPS event in Sydney, Bonnie Doon Golf Club. Jared Felton, good friend mm. of this podcast, a former guest, gets the sixth victory of his professional career, first in a while, Drudes. In really quite unusual circumstances. So I think we should say first and foremost, the fact that we got three and a half, three and three quarter days of golf at all is a remarkable, <laughs> remarkable nod to the ground staff at Bonnie Doon because as I'm sure you're seeing and our listeners are seeing and many of our listeners are experiencing in New South Wales, there is uh, a biblical rain event occurring uh, in, in Sydney in particular at present. Um, it's, it's come down from what we experienced here in Brisbane a few weeks ago, but the fact that there was any golf at all played, let alone uh, the majority of a tournament, yeah, first and foremost, credit to the body, body doing staff. But obviously what ended up happening, if, if people had missed it, is uh, about halfway through the fourth round on Sunday, it became uh, untenable and the round was abandoned. And then a decision was made that what they would do is revert to the 54-hole leaderboard. And at that stage, uh, it was Jared Felton and Brendan James. Uh, Jones. Was the, sorry, Brendan Jones was the, the player he played against. Were both at 15 under at the end of Saturday's round. And they therefore went straight to a playoff. Uh, it only took one, the one hole though, because Jared Felton got they got the birdie courtesy of about a, probably an 18 to 20 foot Ridiculous part, really, which is probably my shot of the week, thanks to the good friends at Sure Shot. But really, just quite an unusual end to the tournament. Um, not to take anything away from Jared's victory, because I think, to be fair, it's probably even more impressive given he handled all of that mentally to come out on top. 
Yeah, I mean, just uh, five hundred and twelve mil. I think someone mm. told me, or did I read correctly the other day? Five hundred twelve. Mm. That is an absurd amount of rain. Um, I you know can't say that I've ever uh, experienced that much much amount of uh, rain. But uh, look, great, great for Felts. Um, uh, look, I, when it first happened and it reverted to the fifty-four hole thing, I was kind of like, oh, look, I don't love this, but uh, and. I was getting ready for another rant about the Aussie BGA, but um, at that point you can't do much about it. And, and as you say, it was great that they just got to the level of uh, play that they did. So um, yeah, credit, I guess, to, to, to the Aussie PGA for making that decision and, and massive credit, as you say, to the, the staff at Bonnie doing for what they were able to, to pull off. I just, I'm just trying to, you mentioned sure shots shot of the week, um, which is of course, thanks to the, Brand new Sure Shot Pinlock 6000 series of laser rangefinders, which, as we know, um, has all the good stuff and helps you play much better golf. I just am trying to pull up a scorecard here of Cade McBride, um, who had a hole in one on a par four. So that's my Sure Shot shot of the week. So um, I don't think enough was made about out of that, to be honest. It was just kind of Saturday, I believe. And from memory, I'm going to get myself in trouble here because I'm shooting from the hip. I think it might have been the 12th. Okay. Okay. Twelfth hole, par four. Okay. Uh, technically referred to as an albatross, but also an ace. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, I, I, bone to pick here with this, the people of golf. That's a fucking hole in one. Like well, it is. No, it is. It but is it's absolutely. Like. Yeah. No, it's not. It's it's a hole in one. Well, I think so. I can see both sides of it, right? Because it is. It absolutely is a hole-in-one. So take nothing away from Cade McBride. He, he is the owner of a competition hole-in-one, even more impressive on a par four. Yeah. But I think in defense of people calling it an albatross, the majority, when you say i got a hole-in-one, I would suggest nine out of ten people, maybe nine and a half out of ten people, would automatically assume that it was done on a par three. And hence, it took you one shot on a three-shot hole. So an albatross actually makes it sound more impressive, right? Because you're three under the hole as opposed to two under the hole. I agree, but that works for a par five. Yeah, look. <laughs> it's a hole in one. It is a hole in one. <laughs> it's sick. Any, it's sick to have it on a par that. four. I love it. It I just Because I saw it, I was like, oh, he's just got an albatross. I was like, oh, this is great. Like, it's really cool. Like, genuinely, that yeah. happens on a par five. And then I looked it up, and it was on a par four. I was like, this is amazing. This is yeah, phenomenal. It's the, the best highlight that we've had on the tour all year. Anyway, yeah, we get sidetracked. Sorry. I, I sold it short because I've I've said that Feltz's 18 footer was my shot of the week. Clearly that's albeit, you know, I've always deferred in in this little segment, courtesy of our great friends at Short Shot to the moment as opposed to the actual shot. But yeah, that's um that's made a fool of me because I hold them one on a par four. <laughs> Pretty impressive from Cade McBride. Um just on Feltz, obviously. I mean, how good's that household going mm. uh, at present? That's uh, three wins out of the uh, green Felton household across this summer. Uh, Hannah's gone and had a, a top 10 in her first LPGA event of the year over in Singapore, and, and, and Jared's continued on the winning ways of, uh, of that household. So really good to see him back in the winner's circle. I mentioned the sixth of his career. It has been a little time between drinks. Did see in, in the post, Randy spoke a lot about the fact he's been doing some work with a mindset coach, and that seems to be a bit of a common theme of late. Uh, you know, we've spoken to Louis Dobler about his work with Ben Crow. I uh, spoke to Anthony Quayle last week about the 
um, I suppose the the balance and the peace of mind that he's finding on the course and and now felt you know um, being very open about his work with his mindset coach. So uh, clearly people finding an edge there about uh, you know working on the mental side of their game, which is nothing new. Um, also, it was great to see. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on this, but Jared walked three and a half rounds by himself. Uh, and then for the one and done playoff, I'll yeah, James Marcazzani on the back mm. uh, on Sunday afternoon. So I'm not sure if Marker had uh, too much to say on the read of that part, but we'll, uh, we'll certainly claim it because that's two former guests of this podcast and two good friends of this podcast involved in that victory. Yeah. So uh, big congratulations to Jared. And yeah, as I said, I mean, I think I, I think I've heard uh, Jed Morgan say it's the best course. Uh, from a drainage perspective that he's ever played on in the world. I, I don't think you can underestimate that. You mentioned 512 mils of rain. I think we had a bit over 700 mils here across the 48 hours of the flood event here in Southeast Queensland to give you some context. So like over 500 mils on that course. And I can tell you in the days since it's probably been only more given what we've seen in Sydney, just a remarkable effort from that, that ground staff to get even three and a half days and you know anthony quayle joined us last week and that was at the beginning of the week and he said he'd be surprised they got any golf in, mm. uh, at that stage and that was monday evening uh, so to play thursday friday saturday and then a part part of sunday was was an awesome thing to see i'm glad they played ahead so congratulations to them congratulations to braith and astra as well for running another fantastic mm. tournament um there and and they move up the road drew it's up to the central coast uh tps hunter valley um Announced today that, again, unfortunately, the weather, it's been reduced to a 54-hole event. Uh, so they've taken out around, I think, just to give the course there. Uh, is it the Cypress Oaks? Oaks, Cypress Lakes. There you go. It's a beautiful course. There's um, there's a couple, of, uh, a couple of really nice ones there. I drove past and I played a, uh, a course called The Vintage, Greg Norman Design course called The Vintage. Uh, there a couple of years ago when I was in town for a wedding and drove past uh, the neighbouring property, which was the Oaks course. It's a beautiful course. Um, but, yeah, courtesy of the rain, that has been reduced to a 54-hole event. But uh, all the, I think all the order of merit leaders are descending in on, uh, in on the Hunter Valley because it's this event. You've got the New South Wales Open the, the week following, which is really the, the last big purse uh, event on offer at 400000 for the, uh, the New South Wales Open. And, the whips are cracking, as they say, in racing parlance streets from an order of merit perspective as we head up to the Central Coast. Mate, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and I just wanted to shout out quickly, um, I, I love the fact that the the tours got out ahead of this and reduced it to a 54-hole. Yeah. I think that's great forward planning from them. We do, as we always say, give them plenty of brick bats, but I think this is a really good decision. It's smart. Um, they know that they're not going to get it in and... Um, yeah, credit to them for, for making the decision. So gives the, the team uh, down there, Oaks, Cypress Lakes, a little bit more time to get everything ready, get it, um, I guess, you know, championship ready for whatever that means. But, um, yeah, looks looks like a really good decision that um, Nick Dasty and, and the team have made um, there for the TPS Hunter Valley, which is hosted by, if I just do my research, Half correctly. I think it's Jan Stevenson and Peter O'Malley, maybe. It is. I'm doing that correctly, Kayan. So, yeah, no, really good. Looking, looking forward to this week um, as well. So, sorry to, to get sidetracked. The Order of Merit, I did want to just mention there was something that I picked up on um, around Andrew Dope. So, he has headed off to the Asian Tour to play a bunch of tournaments. So, okay. uh, game on. 
I think. Interesting. I think it opens. Jed locked up. Done. He's got a spot. Whether it's one, two, or three, he's got a spot. Quail Papadados uh, snapping at the heels of Andrew Doat. So 107,000 for Andrew Doat. Quayle, 93K. Dimmy, 90K. Louis Dobler uh, won't be far off heading back to uh, the other side of the pond, 84K. Mm-hmm. But then we've got Kennedy, Campbell, Gale, our man, Gailey, Cameron John, David Michaluzzi, Aaron Pike, Jack Thompson, Jake McLeod. So uh, it's game on, I reckon, here, KM. Absolutely. And um, this is a $200,000 purse this week. Mixed gender event, first event uh, from a PGA Tour of Australasia perspective in the Hunter Valley for more than a decade. Yeah. So great to see a professional golf heading back to that region, a beautiful golf region of the country. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Druids. I mean, we keep talking. It's those three top three spots earn their DP World Tour cards for next year. Uh, sorry, European Tour, not to give a free kick to DP World, pay to play. Uh, and of course, you, would you we say, take I mean, DP World as a sponsor? Uh, well, open to the conversation. Um, it's not, I mean, geez, it's not, it's not the SGL, is it? Let's, well, <laughs> we open. We open almost all doors uh, uh, in terms of an initial conversation. Uh, anywho, <laughs> I say that with very little context of whatever the fuck they would actually do. So They're an oil see. company out of the Emirates. Ah, yeah, right, out uh, of the Emirates. Close. Oh, that's good. Careful. I'm sure, they're, sure, it's a very clean operation. I'll tell you what, the oil um, price at the moment, holy dooly. Well, anyway, let's not get sidetracked into <laughs> to Vlad and his, and his mates. Um, where was I? You've, you've hmm. completely skittled my, uh, my of order of merit. The crude oil points. Uh, yeah, so obviously we keep talking about what's on offer. It's the three European tour cards. And, of course, for the person who, who, who tops the order of merit, and we obviously we think that's going to be Jed at this point in time, but now as we flagged last week, the extra carrot of, of a spot in the US Open at Brookline Country Club this year. So, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating decision from Andrew Doe. Uh, clearly, well, it's only one of two things. He thinks he's done enough or he thinks that he can find a way to reach either of those things via the Asian tour. So, yeah, certainly I think it opens up. Um, I mean, you'd think given where things are at, it's probably Qualey and Dimmy. Um, it's theirs to lose, but certainly a number of people biting at their heels. So um, there has been... A bit of news, though, significant to the order of merit race and truths. That's the fact that another event has been added to the schedule between now and the end of the season. Uh, it will go, uh, I believe, in the spot in terms of the schedule that was set aside for the New Zealand swing of events. Generally, the uh, Tour of Australasia heads to New Zealand, um, where we get you know the wonderful golf on the South Island, whether it's between the hills, Millbrook, uh, a little bit of Jack's Point sometimes. It's generally in that that kind of Queenstown area, which, you know, one of my favourites. But uh, unfortunately, due to um, border restrictions from a New Zealand perspective, those tournaments had to be canned this year. And the tour has announced a replacement tournament in that window to ensure that our players have every opportunity to, to vie for those final spots in the Order of Merit. Yeah. Uh, the National PGA Classic played out of the National Golf Course as well, one of... The great gems of this country uh, is the national. So uh, that will take place 5th to the 8th of April, 200,000 up for grabs. So the same as the TPS 
uh, events that have been been running. So really, the next three weeks, I think, will go uh, probably decide who who wins those three European Tour cards. You've got TPS Hunter Valley with 200k up for grabs, then the New South Wales Open, which is the big one, 400,000, and then uh, this uh, fantastic event at the National. Uh, up for grabs at 200k after that is the wa events and the um nt pga great events but um you know probably not going to be too much uh shaking of the tree in terms of the order of merit uh again km i know um people might think we're a little ill here with the the level of praise that we're giving the pga on this pod but uh fantastic to see i think you know this is a really great uh, a really great move from from the tour to get out in front of again a, a disappointing decision from um, obviously New Zealand's government um, that that they can't get in. So to I guess land a, a tournament at a course like the National is fantastic. So I'm really looking forward um, to this one. I think it is in terms of courses that are left on the tour. Marshy, uh, Oak Cypress Lakes, Concord, the National Kalgoorlie, Royal Frio, and Palmerston. Uh, one of those stands out above the rest. That's <laughs> the National, and I'm very much looking forward to to seeing professional golf back out there. So I'm really, really excited, and and um, a pat on the back to the PGA. Yeah, and absolutely not to take away from any of the other courses because uh, there's some some rivers in there as well. But there are pro- professional golf uh, on the PGA Tour of Australasia back at the National. Um, is, a, is a really exciting prospect and, and credit to both the tour and to the club as well. I mean, it's no, make no mistake, a club like the National, while in many people's eyes, they might feel it's easier for them to just take on a tournament like this at short notice. It's probably more difficult, to be fair. Mm. Uh, Infrastructure-wise, they're set up, but, you know, the 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 management with members and bumping things in and out of a place like that at short notice, not easy. So credit to the club as well for, yep, absolutely. We want to be involved and we want to move mountains to make this happen. And I think it'll be a great event. So hmm. looking forward to that one. Anything else Trudz, on the domestic front before we no, head overseas? No, I was just going to say again, you know, obviously these New Zealand events were only cancelled um, less than a month ago, I think. So for it to all come together in in the space of three or four weeks, really, um, yeah, as you say, is a credit to the team at the National and the PGA as well. And I'm sure the players are very appreciative of another opportunity to get out on the course. So that was uh, that was my last little bit that I wanted to add. The Arnold Palmer Invitational on the PGA Tour. Scotty Scheffler, a winner for the second time in three weeks. How's this, Drew? So... Took him 71 starts to crack through for his first victory. He has his second inside 73. We mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when he took the win uh, in Phoenix, it was, uh, that is this a sign potentially of the floodgates opening given the quality of this guy and how surprising it is to say that was his first PGA Tour victory. Uh, Two weeks later, he does it again. or Three weeks later, sorry, he does it again at a place that honestly... Uh, when you look at the scoring average for Saturday and Sunday in the mid seventies, and it was it was nasty to watch. Uh, probably a little bit too. I mean, we talk a lot about in this podcast how we enjoy watching the pro struggle at times. That might have been uh, a little bit too much. They may have over-indexed the Bay Hill there, but Scotty Scheffler uh, got it done when all others around him were falling for his second PGA Tour victory. Yeah, yeah, uh, a really, really good performance uh i guess in the in the face of pressure 
um, from Scotty Sheffley's game's clearly in a great place um, at the moment um, with an even even par seventy two today. I mean, I must admit uh, it was. I mean, we we'll get to Lucas Herbert in a moment, but for a moment there, it kind of looked like Lucas was in with a genuine shot. Um, but I, I was, yeah. I, I must admit that I was really hoping that Tyrrell Hatton got over the line here. I just would, I, I was, I just, you know, I like Tyrrell and I just would have loved to yeah. see it, see it happen. And what I did want to say about Scotty Scheffler is uh, by G, he fills out that cardigan well. Uh, mm. <laughs> he's a mm. big unit, is Scotty Scheffler. So, um, no, just as a, as a bit of a laugh there. Still one of my favourite uh, trophies. Obviously, there is the trophy, but then the red cardigan is one of my favourites on uh, on tour and a nod to the great man, the king that was Arnold Palmer. What did you think of the course? Um, Bay Hill, again, I said this a lot in the lead-up, that this kind of this patch, Riv, I can take or leave Honda, uh, Bay Hill, you add in Phoenix at the beginning of that run as we head into the players this week. It's one of my favourite stretches. Of, of time I don't know if that's this week in particular if that's more the tournament or the course I think it is more the tournament I like Bay Hill uh, but as I kind of flagged before I think maybe we over uh, overcooked it a little bit this week when you've mm-hmm. got um, you know a scoring average in the middle of the 70s on the weekend you've got guys losing shots like it's going out of fashion across Saturday and Sunday when you really would see your most competitive golf when the tournament's on the line and I thought this was a really interesting stat so Shane Bacon, uh, for people who are right into their golf, is, a, is, a, is an American golf commentator. He hosts um, the Breakfast Show on Golf Channel over in the States. He's one of my favourite commentators. I really like Shane Bacon's work. Tweet from him uh, at the conclusion of the tournament. Um, how valuable is even par? A look at where even for the week puts you on the PGA Tour in 2022. So at the Tournament of Champions in Kapalua, you would have finished dead last. If you finished even par, Sony, you would have missed the cut. The American Express, you would have missed the cut. The Farmers, T67, finishing even par. Pebble, missed the cut. Phoenix, T60. Riviera, T67. Honda, T16. This week at the Arnold Palmer, if you finished even par, you're in a tie for 11th and taking home just short of $300,000. To give you an indication of how, and yes, the conditions, like it was blowy, certainly, but the, the, the greens were completely burnt out. Dead. There was very little reward. Like we can take punishing bad shots, but when we're not rewarding good shots, that's a problem. Uh, and you saw it, you know, in a lot of the comments post round. We don't like seeing pros whinge about courses, but when it's consistent and there's a large group of them rather than isolated voices. I mean, you've got Rory McElroy using the word penal far many more times than I'd like to hear. Uh, yeah. maybe just once or twice, not four times, Rory, in the space of two sentences. Be careful. Yeah, very careful. Uh, it was, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think it lost me a little bit. Like, I love to see a guy like Scotty Scheffler, and ultimately he had to do it. Gary Woodland, I think, eagled the 16th and then absolutely shat himself um, coming home. So you, you've, you've still got to win, and Scheffler absolutely did that. But I, I just think there was there were some things there across the weekend from a course perspective that took a little bit out of took a little bit of sting, I think, out of the the the, the finishing stages of the of the tournament. Yeah, I thought there were some pretty average pin positions, just in general. Um, mm. You know, like I think uh, just going back through them, uh, number eight, you know, was you had to go right over the 
right over the water if you wanted to have a crack at it. And I'm not saying, I, I think, you know, to your point, we we love tough setups. We definitely love tough setups. But I thought today oh, for sure. was too much. I mean, you look at some of the, the positions on the back nine. 13 was in a horrible position, like literally on the edge of the water. So there was no chance to make birdie. And, and I don't... I think there should be an opportunity for players. If you execute the shot well, you should be able to make a birdie on a hole. I don't think it should be you should ever be punished for hitting a good shot, as you said. So I think you look at holes like 13 where the pin position was today, 16 uh, where the pin position was, 17 was horrible just over that bunker, 176-yard par three. And you've got to carry a bunker. And if you carry the the bunker, the ball's going through the back. Like, so what? I don't really understand what the play is. 18 is even in a, in a tough position. So, well, I, I don't know if you saw. So, sorry to interject. But, no, no. So, Vic, Victor Hovland, right? Victor Hovland was probably Scheffler's primary competition in the closing stages. As I said, Woodland uh, had exited unceremoniously. Hatton uh, probably wasn't really threatening with his best golf at the back end. And Hovland really felt like the one taking the charge up. Horschel maybe to a lesser extent, but again, um, you know, probably got uh, the, the the consequences of chasing the win. Hovland's approach into 18 was insane. So you've got that, you know, the kind of um, L-bend green around the water and the pin position on, on 18 on Sunday is the back right so you literally you have to fly the water into you're talking maybe maybe eight meters of green you know edge to or fringe to fringe and he, he flew it over the water and had every right to think mm. that he'd get a little bit of help from from the rough beforehand and and roll out onto the green like that that shot takes enormous nuts yeah and and we know he's got them and died dead in the rough and he, he finds himself you know a foot or two off the green he's putting from off the green for a birdie to keep himself in the tournament that's that's frustrating right because that shot from a guy who's a shot back he's on 18 he's in arguably the toughest pin position of the day he's got a water hazard to fly you ask him the question and he answers it and he isn't rewarded that for me is like I'm, I'm not what's the point Right, yeah. like what? What? What are we doing? I'm all for testing, but that you've asked, you've tested him, you've asked a question, and he's answered it, mm. and 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 is well within his rights to expect a better answer. Mm. No, I agree. I thought I thought this week was too much, um, and that's probably as simple as it was. I thought it was a combination of the conditions, whether that was intentionally dried out the way it was. I thought the pin positions were pretty average, um, and. Look, I know you like Bay Hill, but the more that I look at it, there's some of the holes there that I just don't think are that great. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't think that some of the and it's and it's largely to do with where the pin positions are. But you look at like the par threes on the back nine, like 172 yard par three with a bunker in front and the pin basically three steps on and one step from the side. Like, what's the point? Like, yeah. we're we're better off throwing. Um, throw in the the pin in the middle and at least allowing guys to have have a go because where those pin positions were, particularly on Sunday, was irrelevant. Like 
there was no reward for hitting a good shot because if you flew it to where you would normally fly it, it was running through the green. And it was, and it doesn't make for good watching. Like I, 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 I want to watch guys win at five under. Don't get me wrong. I want to. I, mm. That's what I want to see. Way better than watching guys win at twenty five under. But when the conditions in the setup don't allow for guys to, to your point, answer the test, it it seems like a waste of waste of time to me. That's, I think to I your know. point. I'd be much happier to watch guys win at 10 to 12 under rewarded for good shots. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Look, I think, I think, you know, as I said, I, I, maybe it's more the tournament than the course. I'm a big, a bit unashamedly a big Arnie guy. Like mm. when I look back in history, I've got nothing one, against Arnie. <laughs> this one, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not, not, not trying to suggest rest in peace, King. I'm not trying to suggest that you do, but, and this is probably an unpopular opinion. When I look back historically at that period of golf, I'm a much bigger Arnie guy than I am a Jack guy. Right. Um, and that's maybe a little bit sacrilegious to say, mm-hmm. but I think maybe the whole um, aura and mystique around Arnie's tournament and Arnie's place uh, gets to me a little bit, but also why maybe I'm disappointed that therefore the, the tournament should reflect and the course should reflect the, the significance of that tournament, you know, because he is such a significant figure in the game. You hate to see the end product being players walking out on a Sunday complaining about the course. Mm. Not the result you want. So no. needs to be looked at. One person who didn't complain about the course trades was uh, our very own Lucas Herbert, who shot the low round of Sunday a 68. Uh, so bear in mind the context of all we've just spoken about for the last five minutes. Uh, bear in mind the context of what I said earlier, that the scoring average across both Saturday and Sunday uh, was somewhere between 74 and 76. So mid-70s, Lucas Herbert is six to seven shots better than the field on Sunday to hit the low round. He started the day in 30-30, finishes in a tie for seventh. Not only does he shoot himself up um, from, from a rankings and a FedEx Cup points perspective, but I would suggest a significant increase in his pay that he took home as well. And so just important that we single out the performance of Lucas Herbert because you know, we've spoken a lot about him. He's a, he's a winner uh, this year on the tour for the first time. He's a guy that really pushed his, all his chips on the table and made the move to America and is continuing, albeit not terribly consistently, but he's showing us on a regular enough basis what he's capable of to know that he absolutely belongs on the best tour in the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was really Strong performance um, from a guy, as you mentioned, who's really just starting his career on the PGA Tour. And and to go to a place like Bay Hill um, to compete for a tournament, I mean, uh, this is an elevated event, I'm fairly certain, but to go to that sort of place in the condition that it was in with the conditions that they got today, I thought was was you know, really, really impressive. Um, and so, yeah, it's hopefully it gives him a world of confidence. Hopefully it, it leads well. I mean, we're going into some significant um, tournaments coming up in the next sort of stretch. So um, yeah, hopefully it gives him some, some confidence to know that he can match it with the, the, the genuine best in the world. In terms of other Australians in the field, Adam Scott finished in a tie for 26 at four. Over uh, the next best Australian was Matt Jones in a tie for 52 at eight over. The only other Australian that made the cut was Mark Leishman in a tie for 68 
at 11 over. And then Cam Davis and Min Woo Lee both did not play on the weekend. I was just going to say Matt Jones <laughs> did what I'm sure a lot of people thought and threw the putter in the lake. Um, so the 11th? Yeah, I don't know what number it was, but I th- well, it was early. I like when I say early, it wasn't front nine, but I'm pretty sure it was 11th or 12th. So he's putted with the wedge. Sick, love it. Six, seven. He's, he's done a, a lot. He's done what a lot of people thought they wanted to do. So yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, he acted when Shout a lot of Jones. people were thinking it. But good on you, Jancy. That's uh, the the ability to putt with the wedge. I remember who was it? It was Siwoo Kim snapped his putter at the uh, the Masters last year when he was like. Two or three shots off the lead. Leash did on, it. Leash did it earlier as well. Yeah, on sixteen, and Sibu Kim part of the last, I think, three holes with his three wood. So Love just, that. Yeah, Love it. I, it's funny. I've never been. I, I, I'm not playing professionally or for a, or a lot of money or any money at all, really. But I've never been in a position where I want to snap a club over my knee. It's just <laughs> never kind of or throw it. It's just not me. I don't know. It's it's interesting. And I'm sure when there's a lot more on the line, you know, your emotions get the better yeah. of you. But I was like, whoa, Jonesy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Good on you. Love it. Uh, LPGA, Drudes, mm. uh, got their season back underway in earnest for 2022 in Singapore. So um, this is uh, a significant event, the HSBC. It's known as, and I, I, I try and say this as delicately as humanly possible, um, it is known as the Asian major. On, on the LPGA. Obviously, this swing, because uh, they're off to Thailand this week on the LPGA, but this swing is significant. Um, and this event in particular, the HSBC Women's World Championship, was a completely stacked field. I want to uh, put a statement to you now and get your immediate reaction. Mm. Jin Young Ko is currently the best golfer in the world. Wow. Is that right? But is that I, your I, opinion? I, I, that's, that's or my is that opinion. me? No, that's my opinion, and I uh, want to get your immediate reaction to that. Uh, to that uh, statement. That's a big call. Let me. Were you male or female? Ma- best golfer in the world. Period. Uh, yeah, I'd have to think about it, but let me make my case. Certainly up there. Yeah, please, please. Marinate on it while I make my case. Yeah. So, um, Birdie's five of her final six holes here at the HSBC to finish with a Sunday 66, two shots ahead of uh, Inji Chun and our very own Minji Lee has won six, including this tournament, of her past 10 starts. Uh, Courtesy of a victory here, she broke the record for most consecutive rounds in the 60s and most consecutive rounds under par in LPGA Tour history. And I believe... Um, now sits somewhere in the vicinity of, I think it was 122 of her last 135 greens in regulation. So she is in some otherworldly form. I think her finishes as well. So I said one, six of her last 10. In the other four tournaments, she didn't finish any lower than T6th. Right. So I'm saying power rankings of any golfer in the world, male or female, right now, take a sample. I don't think there's a better golfer than Jin Young-Ko right now. Right. Or I'll still say Colin Morikawa. I'll give you wow. – I, I think Colin Morikawa, he's had six top tens. Uh, yeah, what am I counting here? One, two, three, four, five, six top tens in his last eight starts, um, including a win um, and an – 
two seconds. So, mm. I, oh, it's, it, that's hard. That's a great question. Jin Young has had 10 top 10s in her last 10 starts. I know, I know, I, I know, uh, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, <laughs> Oh Jesus, that that is very tough, KM. That's a very tough call. Um, I need to marinate on this a little bit more to use your term before. So I'm sure you could make a case for for a lot of players, but there's no doubt that she is playing some scarily good golf um, at the moment. Um, and yeah, probably the two shot winning margin at the Sentosa Golf Club was probably not not a true reflection of how well she played, to be honest. Wouldn't have thought so. Uh, mentioned Minji Lee, low round of Sunday, 63 droots mm. uh, to catapult into a tie for second. And courtesy of that finish, takes her world ranking to number four. Mm. Uh, we spoke about the fact that Minji Lee was probably, uh, I think, I can't remember if I said this at the back end of last year. We're kind of looking at, like a reviewing and looking ahead to 2022. I believe I said that either Minji Lee or Cam Smith would be our next major winner and that I felt Minji was probably the best chance. Uh, and and she only continues to reaffirm my belief in that fact. She like We speak so much about the next wave of, uh, of Australian women's golf. Uh, we got caught up in the back-to-back victories of Hannah Green uh, who finished in the tie for six, by the way, in this tournament. Uh, a very good performance of her own, only four shots back from Jinyanko. But goodness me, Minji Lee uh, kind of has a break back in Perth, goes to work at Royal Fremantle, spends some time at home to replenish and recharge, makes a first start back in Singapore and hits a Sunday 63 to finish in a tie for second and jump to number four in the world and shows us exactly why. Um, you know, She's our premier women's golfer and might be our best Australian golfer in the world right now. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think she's uh, the best chance that we've got right now to to win a major. So very, very good performance from her and Hannah Green as well and the um, and the other couple of Aussies in the field. I think Suwo finished T26 and Sarah Kemp was T56 as well. So, um, yeah, good performances generally all around from the, uh, from the ladies on the LPGA. So the LPGA moves to Thailand, as I mentioned uh, this week. Drudes, we're going to jump around here quickly for a couple of other stories. I know you wanted to talk briefly about the DP World Tour, Mm. uh, as did I. So I'll let you go first to talk about the winner of the magical Kenyan Open this past week on the DP World Tour. Yeah, well, I just wanted to shout out Ashen Wu. Uh, 69, 68, 66, 65, finishing at 16 under, blitzing the field, four-shot winner over Aaron Cockrell of Canada, uh, Tristan Lawrence of South Africa, and Hurley Long, which is uh, a fantastic name uh, from Germany, Hurley Long. Um, My man, Adria, now finishing inside the top 10, but Ashen Wu, um, I thought it was just worth mentioning that he has jumped up from 72nd to 23rd in the international team standing for uh, the President's Cup, which, of course, will um, finish up at the end of the BMW Championship later in the year. Enormous jump. uh, Finds himself ahead of guys like Adam Hadwin, Dylan Fratelli, 
uh, Ryan Fox, Charles Schwartz, all a few of these guys, you know, that names have been thrown around. Matty Jones. So uh, he could be this year's Tong Lee, who kind of qualifies into uh, the the uh, international team by playing on the European Tour and just winning a bunch of events. So shout out uh, Ashen Wu. That's all yeah. I wanted to say. Uh, look, I hope, I hope he's not Hatong Lee in application. If oh, he, I agree. If he does make the team, Jesus, doesn't Trevor Illman have have some choices to make? Yes, I don't know if does. you saw. Did you see the photo? So he got uh, a group together ahead of the Arnold Palmer Invitational for a dinner, uh, and it was probably a group of 20, 25. A number of Australians were there. I think Leash was there. Lucas Herbert was there. Min Wu was there. Kim Davis was there. Uh, but again, uh, really, I probably think most people that you'd refer to as in his thinking for the international team, certainly not an indicative indication of who will be in the team, but like a broad, let's get together for dinner and have a chat. And I looked across that group and I got pretty bloody excited. I don't know about you. Mm. Um, we said this a couple of weeks ago, genuinely believe the international team will be a bigger threat uh, to the Americans in the President's Cup than the European team will be in the Ryder Cup in coming years, given what we have coming down the pipeline from uh, guys who are kind of 25 and under. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Yeah. Insane, no. the talent that we have on the international team. Definitely agree. Certainly looking forward to it. Did you have anything else from Kenya? Magic I want to talk to you. Yes. I want to talk to you about a guy called Paul Shadali. Okay. Talk to me about you, Paul. You would have never heard uh, this name. And uh, I want to make mention to uh, Monday Q Info. If you're not following Monday Q Info on Twitter or on Instagram, he is one of the great follows on the on golf social. So this is a guy who's deeply embedded in the, as the name suggests, Monday qualifier scene and likes to highlight the stories routes that out of the, uh, the Monday qualifying scene each and every week on the various tours around the world. Posted a photo uh, after the opening round of the Magical Canyon Open of Paul Chidale. Let's see if I can bring it up here. And this is really poor radio, but can you see that? That's Paul Chidale. Yeah, okay. In the full orange, is it? In the full orange. Okay. So let me tell you the Paul Chidale story, courtesy of Monday Q Info. Pro golfer from Malawi. Mm-hmm. Malawi, uh, one of the poorest nations in the entire world from a uh, GDP perspective, one, I repeat, one 18-hole golf course in the entire country. Paul Chidale opened with a 67 in the opening round of the Magical Canyon Open to sit T9. Now, look, he did shoot a 77 to miss the cut on Friday. But this is a guy who comes from a country with one golf course in the entire nation and sat inside the top 10 after the opening round of the Kenyan Open. And I thought that Paul Chidale was certainly worth a mention here on the 19th tee this evening. Great call. Love it. Love that little bit of tidbit. That's, mm. uh, that's the sort of stuff that we live for. As well, um, last one, sorry, shout out Blake Windred. Uh, didn't play his best golf, but he was over in Kenya playing, um, finished T65. Um, mm. Didn't play his best golf, but shout out Blake. Uh, similarly, on, uh, on on the same sort of vein, I want to talk about uh, Ryan Brem, 
who won the Puerto Rico Open Dreadstart this week. It was the alternate field event to the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Um, Ryan Brem's not a name that a lot, if many at all, golf fans here in Australia would be familiar with. Um, but listened actually to a podcast, uh, the No Laying Up podcast with uh, Harry Higgs. And, uh, and, and Harry Higgs said that he's one of the most popular uh, members of uh, of either tour, that's the Corn Ferry or the PGA, amongst his peers, and an effortless driver of the ball to give you an idea of where his strengths lie. Um, why is his win at the Puerto Rico Open significant? Well, he had one start remaining on his minor medical exemption, uh, courtesy of the PGA Tour, and he decided to roll the dice here at the Puerto Rico Open. He's got his wife, Chelsea, on the bag, who generally carries the clubs for him. He's had a certainly tough trot of it in the last 12 months. Um, also lost his mother to cancer late last year. Needed a finish uh, uh, atop the field or solo second. And got the job done in Puerto Rico. And uh, I believe he's off to the players this week uh, as a result and, and has his, his tour status locked up. So I love seeing that. I love seeing any any tour in the world, whether it's stories like Paul Chadale's or Ryan Brems, where it just means a little more. I think we've mm. spoken about that in recent weeks where uh, you see a guy like that who's uh, had a few things thrown at him in, in recent years that means his career hasn't necessarily followed the trajectory he thought um, and, you know, backs against the wall and gets it done uh, under pressure, not the pressure of, you know, winning a tournament because I've won three already, but literally winning a tournament to keep my status and, you know, keep earning a living in, in this game that I love. So just wanted to shout out to Ryan Brem as well. No, that's a very good one. I did have one, sorry, from the um, from the Puerto Rico Open as well. I wanted to shout oh. out Chris Gotterup. Um, now, okay. name probably no one knows, wouldn't have heard. He no. is currently a redshirt senior at the University of Oklahoma, uh, the Sooners. So transfer um, from Rutgers. So came across from Big 12 down and, playing uh, at Oklahoma. Um, very good golfing school, not quite the same as their uh, rival down the road at, at Oklahoma State. But shout out to, to Chris. He finished, I think, at like 11 under or something like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, just wanted to shout him out. I think he was actually a lot higher up the the, the leaderboard than that for a fair amount of it. Um, so, yeah, shout out Chris up. Love seeing those little stories and, I guess, that's why the Puerto Rico Open can stay on the schedule because you get some of those little interesting stories. Otherwise, it's crap. <laughs> yeah, for as much as we should get out in the field events, uh, you know, we've said it in the past that it provides platforms for these players, uh, and that's yeah. so important. We can we can often lose sight and we get uh, whisked away by the romantic notion of the top zero 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 one percent of you know, absolute generational talents on the tour that there are three to 400 guys that play across tours in the, in the States and, you know, many more than that around the world. And it's, it's often the other mm. 390 that, that you need to sustain. So yep. it is good to see. Yep. Um, Drew, just finally, before we go, uh, I think, you know, and it, it would certainly be remiss of us not to say anything at all, but it may well have been remiss of us to leave it to now, but uh, we, uh, we as a country, I think, um, but, you know, certainly the game of golf, um, given his love and his passion for it, lost a, uh, a giant, uh, I think it would be fair to say, in the past week. Uh, it, it's even difficult now, a couple of days following the, the news of Shane Warne's passing to, to really put it into words. But as I said, a, um, 
a person that certainly for you and you and I growing up um, probably defined a lot of how we felt about um, you know a game that we both love in cricket and and you know as we've come to see an incredible um, supporter and lover of the game of golf uh, I, I don't really know what I want to say other than mm. to acknowledge the fact that um, we, we certainly shouldn't uh, let this episode pass with, uh, with without at least mentioning and, 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 and probably acknowledging how yeah just how sad it has been these past few days and, and I don't know about you but for me it, it still seems a little surreal like I still feel like I will sit and tune into the cricket coverage at the beginning of next summer and find it odd that I don't hear his voice. Mm. Uh, it's yeah, it's quite um quite strange to try and wrap your head around, really. It is, yeah. Um, I must admit, I was I was asleep on Friday night or Saturday night or whenever it was, and my fiance ran in and told me that Shane Warner died, and I was yeah taken aback, jumped on Twitter, and as you go to all <laughs> to verify everything, mm. you go to Twitter and and saw the. The tweets, and I know a lot of people weren't fans of Warney's commentary. Um, he's been shit canned a lot, um, but uh, I, I, what I loved about Warney is a very, very smart cricketer. Um, I quite enjoyed him actually in the commentary box. He was passionate. He wanted Australia to win. There was a no, there was a genuine sense of bias when he was in the commentary box, and and I I love that. And I don't think um, many other commentators have that. And and you're absolutely right, Marshy. He, he was an icon growing up. He made spin bowling cool, um, which I don't think anyone else could really do. So he was uh, a giant of cricket. He loved his golf, as you obviously mentioned. Um, he was a name that I was going through today that we had on our list to, to try and reach out to. I'm sure we'd reached out to him previously, and I reckon he would have been mm. a, a wonderful chat. So, um, yeah, no, he's uh, he's gonna, certainly going to be missed across uh, both cricket and, and golfing codes as well. So It's interesting, you know, like I think obviously uh, there's so many sides to – to Warney, I, I think if there's one thing that has been overwhelming for me in in terms of the coverage of his passing, and uh, you know there is an irony in the fact that, uh, without a doubt, the greatest collective show of admiration as a country that we've given to him comes after he's died. Like that's that's always seems to be the case, and it's cruel in many respects because. Um, to your point, he was polarizing at times when he was when he was alive. But I think if there's one thing you can learn from him um, amongst many, it's that he was unapologetically himself. Yeah. And there's not many people who are like that these days, right? There's not many people who aren't pliable, depending on the situation they're in or the people they're around or you know the circumstances in their life at that time. He was always unapologetically himself, and that in so many ways is such an admirable quality. It might rub you up the wrong way. You might not agree. Um, in fact, at times you might vehemently disagree, but you couldn't fault him. He never, like, he wasn't inconsistent. Uh, he wasn't, um, he certainly wasn't hypocritical. Uh, he was just warning. Mm. And that's, you know, I think that if you put his remarkable on-field achievements to one side, um, yeah, it's interesting. I think that maybe for a lot of it, we we felt like what, we felt like we knew and, and appreciated what we had in him. And I think maybe what's become clear post his passing is that we had probably um, barely scratched the surface. Mm. I feel. Yeah. And no. he's a guy that was incredibly, incre- like it's just incredibly um, rounded and, and complex and deep individual, but one at the same time who just had this 
genuine sense of humour and larrikinism that I think this country resonated with resoundingly. Yeah. No, no, it's very well put. Um, you know, I was, I was listening to uh, Kerry O'Keefe talk talk Skull. about him, and I love Skull. I think, you know, he's he's another one that some people don't really like Skull, and I disagree with all of them, but I like Skull. Um, and he said that Warney was never wrong. He was always yeah. right. He he backed it till the day that, you know, he was like, this is it. I, I'm right. You know, Mitchell Stark's first ball of the Ashes was what he referenced. Didn't swing. <laughs> Fucking, mm. it, you could see it swinging warning. <laughs> and like, a nah, mile. I'm, I'm right. <laughs> it didn't swing. And I loved it. And and, and I, I think that's what we love about Shane Warren. And, and there was also, you know, some great um, stuff on Twitter and great debate that was where, I guess in a country like America where cricket's not big he, he, and that's where all the greatest of all time athletes always are referred to is, is where does he fit in as, as the greatest of all time cricketer? And, and you could certainly make a case that he's the greatest cricketer that the world has ever seen. Um, yeah. I think you, you could make a case and, and it was interesting. Um, I can't remember who said it, but they were talking about there were very few people in sport, or there are very few people in sport that can do what Shane Warne did in, in be so good and change the needle in in so many different ways. And 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 he was such a showman. And um, this person who was talking, I can't mm. remember who it was, referred to Kobe Bryant. And he was like, mm. he's like, for me, it was only it's Kobe Bryant and Shane Warne that are the only two that were able to do that. I can't fuck, I can't remember who it was was that was talking about it, but it was very very interesting to listen. So, yeah. Mm. Um, pretty crappy week for Australian cricket, KM. Yeah, I mean it's 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 we shouldn't also um, you know forget Bacchus Rodney Marsh, mm. who you know to, to lose the two of them in the space of twenty four hours was you know I mean, like Shane is a um, is a once in a generation player and and arguably one of the greatest of all time. You can't understate the contribution that Rodney Marsh made to cricket as a player, as an administrator, selector. Uh, And, yeah, it feels like there's a whole, um, you know, a significant void that's been left um, by way of their passing. And, yeah, just the outpouring. It was a really powerful image. I don't know if you saw it today out of um, the domestic one-day cup, the Western Australia played Victoria today and they, they paused pre-game and they stood either side of the pitch in a moment's silence and just stuff like that. I think it's 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 going to take a little while, I think, for people to probably fully process it and get back on their feet. And, um, you know, the plans for Warnie's memorial at MCG, probably 90,000 people will turn up. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we haven't seen something like that. And Kobe, I kind of feel like it's our Australian Kobe moment, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's that... He touched so many people far beyond cricket, mm. and and I think that the the outpouring of um, grief collectively as a nation in the past you know three to four days has been evidence of that. So yeah, it's um, terribly sad, and yes. terribly sad none more so for his for his kids, which mm. uh, you know it must be um, it must be so hard, you know. Um, to go through, like I, I've been there, and it's incredibly difficult to mourn a parent. But to do that when it's been done mm. with a whole country, well, like it's, un, it's unimaginable. Mm. Mm. It's unimaginable yeah. what his three kids are going through at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, we we certainly think of them. So, look, as I said, it's it's a somber way to end, but mm. it would have been uh, inappropriate for us to not um, 
you know, given his, well, for us, given his love of the game of golf, but also probably the mark that he probably left on both of our childhoods, it would have been completely inappropriate for him not yeah. to acknowledge Warney's passing. No, I agree. Tonight. So uh, Players you know, this week. Players week. Um, great week. Oh, we, we take the piss out of the yeah. We take the piss out of the fifth major, but it's a great week. It is a great tournament. You get out, and it's literally outside of the four majors. You don't get a field like you get this week. Um, and so, if you're not doing uh, any sort of family or otherwise commitments, you should be glued to the television this weekend because it'll be great golf there from TPC Sawgrass. Uh, a couple of good interviews. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, Justin Thomas. JT, go back to back. What about uh, you? I, I'm just looking at the, the field list here. Um, I will... Uh, this will get you excited uh, just because I like the way he's playing. But I'll give you Jordan Spieth this week. I love the way he's playing. Love right. the way he's driving the ball. I think he okay. is in very good touch. Wouldn't... No, I think... Look, I'll say with... Yeah, I think he's going to give us a very good performance. I think he's in great form. All roads Could leading to Augusta. Could also miss the cut. Could so. also miss the cut. Could, and that's the 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 JS experience. It's exactly that what is it is. The experience. So. And I got to I got to tell you, mate, with uh, with Augusta National on the horizon, I could not give two shits if he misses the cut this week. No. As long exactly as right. he puts in a performance over four <laughs> days in April, that's all we care about. Exactly right. A uh, couple of good things coming down the pipeline. Mm. Uh, we've got Blake Collier a little later this week. Uh, we've got Aaron Wilkin locked in for next week. Another one out of the Searoo Sports Stable. Uh, so I'm sure there'll be some good stuff there with Aaron Wilkin and, uh, and plenty of others in the pipeline as well. So uh, make sure you have subscribed if you haven't already, rated if you haven't already, and follow us on the socials at 19th Podcast. Plenty of good stuff coming. Uh, Drew says, it's been a pleasure, as always, my friend, to have your company. And we'll be back a little later in the week with Blake Collier.